you're able, please stand for the reading of God's word. Our Old Testament reading comes from the 66th Psalm, beginning with verse 8. <clears throat> Pueblos todos, bendigan a nuestro Dios. Hagan oír la voz de su alabanza. Él ha protegido nuestra vida. Ha evitado que resbalen nuestros pies. Tú, oh Dios, nos has puesto a prueba. Nos has purificado como la plata. Nos has hecho caer en una red. Pesada carga nos has echado a cuestas. Las caballerías nos han aplastado la cabeza. Hemos pasado por el fuego y por el agua. Pero al fin nos has dado un respiro. Me presentaré a tu templo con holocaustos y cumpliré los votos que te hice, los votos de mis labios y mi boca que pronuncié en medio de mi angustia. Te ofreceré holocaustos de animales engordados junto con el humo de ofrendas de carneros. Te ofreceré toros y machos cabrios. Vengan ustedes, temerosos de Dios. Escuchen, voy a contarles todo lo que Él ha hecho por mí. Clamé a Él con mi boca, lo alabé con mi lengua. Si en mi corazón hubiera yo abrigado maldad, el Señor no habría escuchado. Pero Dios sí me ha escuchado. Ha atendido a la voz de mi plegaria. Bendito sea Dios que, nos ha, no, que no rechazó mi plegaria ni me negó su amor. And our New Testament reading comes from Peter's first epistle, beginning with verse 13 and reading to the end of the chapter. Now who is there to harm you if you are zealous for what is good? But even if you should suffer for righteousness' sake, you will be blessed. Have no fear of them, nor be troubled. But in your hearts, regard Christ the Lord as holy, always being prepared to make a defense to anyone who asks you for the reason for the hope that is in you. Yet do it with gentleness and respect, having a good conscience, so that when you are slandered, those who revile your good behavior in Christ may be put to shame. For it is better to suffer for doing good, if that should be God's will, than for doing evil. For Christ also suffered once for sins, the righteous for the unrighteous, that he might bring us to God, being put to death in the flesh, but made alive in the spirit, in which he went and proclaimed to the spirits in prison, because they formerly did not obey when God's patience waited in the days of Noah while the ark was being prepared, in which a few, that is eight persons, were brought safely through water. Baptism now corresponds to this, now saves you, not as a removal of dirt from the body, but as an appeal to God for a good conscience through the resurrection of Jesus Christ, who has gone into heaven and is at the right hand of God, 
with angels, authorities, and powers having been, been subjected to him. This is the word of the Lord. You may be seated. Let's pray. Our Father in heaven, we are grateful to you for this, your living word. By it, Lord, you have called us to life. We ask now, Father, that you would nourish that life that you have placed within us by this, your living word, for the sake of your Son, our Lord Jesus Christ, in whose name we pray. Amen. Happy Mother's Day to you moms. We love you. We thank God for you. And for that reason, we're sparing you a sermon that would induce guilt. <laughs> Reminding you of what kind of mother you ought to be. So instead, we're preaching a sermon that will make everyone feel guilty. <laughs> no, but hopefully that we trust in the grace of God. So this morning, I want to talk to you about what this text says in, in 1 Peter chapter 3 about suffering, that it is better to suffer for doing good. Matthew Loftus, he's a medical doctor in Kenya, and he's writing a piece for the newatlantic.com, and it's an article entitled The Arcs of Life, and he makes this observation. He says, is pain good or bad? The answer seems obvious at first, pain is bad, you idiot, or did you fall asleep in, the, in class the day they covered it? The truth, of course, is that there was no such lesson when I went to medical school. There is, as far as I know, no lecture about this at any medical school in the Western world. The extent to which we will go in order to avoid pain shows up in many lectures, but we all simply live with the assumption that pain is bad and thus we ought to avoid it. Well, Dr. Loftus is, is not wrong about the assumption we have about pain. And in the article, it's a good little article if you, take, if you want to take the time to read it, he makes a distinction between pain and suffering and the good pain that helps us. And also, he raises a really good point that the, the, that the problem, that we, that we have the problem of trying to end suffering by ending the sufferer. And what he's doing is, for us is asking us to think about suffering and pain in a different way. And since, since suffering is going to happen, why not make a different assumption that doesn't avoid pain? So our scripture reading, written before Matthew Loftus' Arcs of Life, is doing just that. Because it says in verse 17 of 1 Peter 3, for it is better to suffer for doing good, if that should be God's will, than for doing evil. And I think in, our, in a culture like ours and the current state of many people's thoughts about suffering around the world, there is a jarring question that should be asked. And it's a, it's a simple one. Why is it better to suffer for doing good? Why is that more noble? Shouldn't people, this is the way we think, shouldn't people who do good catch a break 
doesn't their goodness negate the trouble? And being good, it ought to have a payoff in this life. So, but how do you, so how do you process, how do you process this grace that God has given to us in our suffering so that you see it better, that it is better to suffer for doing good? How do you process the grace of God? Because you have to think about it. You, have, you, have, you, you are drawing conclusions about it. And how you respond to suffering shapes the way that, that you think. So how is it that God has given you grace? Because earlier in chapter 2, Peter says it's gracious to suffer for God. For if, so, it's like, so how do, you, how, do you, how do you arrive at that thinking? So grace shapes our thinking about suffering as it helps us to see it is better to suffer for doing good since it calls us to fear no harm, to honor Christ as holy, being witnesses of hope who are showing the rule of heaven. Grace shapes our thinking about suffering as it helps us to see it as better, that it's better to suffer for doing good since it calls us to fear no harm, to honor Christ as holy, being witnesses of hope who are showing the rule of heaven. So this is what we want to think about. So the first thing that grace does that shapes our thinking, it causes us to fear no harm. Look at verses 13 and 14. Who now, now who is there to harm you if you are zealous for what is good? But even if you should suffer for righteousness' sake, you will be blessed. Have no fear of them, nor be troubled. See, to understand that it is better to suffer for doing good, we should know that it is more than just the inevitability of suffering. It was, it's more than, than just knowing that, yes, suffering is going to take place, but it is suffering that is connected to our identity in Christ. Because that's the context. That's the context of Peter's admonition. And it, it begins back in chapter 2 at verse 11, which comes on the hill of, yes, 11 follows 10, which follows 9. So 1 Peter 2, 9 and 10, is there's this statement about who we are. And listen to what it says. But you are a chosen race, a royal priesthood, a holy nation, a people for his own possession, that you may proclaim the excellencies of him who called you out of darkness into his marvelous light. Once you were not a people, but now you are God's people. Once you had not received mercy, but now you have received mercy. Can you think of a better identity than that? People are looking for, uh, for, to, for identities and, trying to, and wanting someone to tell them what their identity is. How about hearing what God says? If your faith is in Jesus Christ, here is your... Can you think of a more regal expression of your identity than this? Oh, well, there's a reply. <laughs> and it wasn't an amen. <laughs> so, so these verses, they set the context for the instruction on suffering for doing good. It's because of who you are. God's people who are called out of darkness into his marvelous light. The darkness is at war with the light. And since God has called you out of that darkness... The darkness sees you as switching sides. <laughs> Peter describes the new life we have as sojourners and, and exiles and, and one that's honorable, abstaining for, from the passions of the flesh which war against your souls. There's a battle 
he's telling us. There's a battle. Yeah, fightings within and fears without, as the song, just as I am, would say. But facing, the, facing these, we are commanded to do so with doing good. However, notice the reason we are to keep our conduct honorable among the nations. In verse 12 of chapter 2, keep your conduct among the Gentiles honorable so that when they speak against you as evildoers, they may see your good deeds and glorify God on the day of your visitation. So your good, your good can be spoken of as evil. It can be spoken against. You... Instead of being called a child of God, you're called anything but a child of God by the nations for doing good. And yet, in this, God is glorified. So as, ma- so as a matter of identity, we pursue doing good as the people of God, but this good is not seen as good by the nations who are in darkness. The nations who are in the dark speak against your doing good as evil, but this defamation of our good brings glory to God who will inspect them at the end. That's what that word, the day of visitation, means. It's, 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 it's the word episkopos, from which we get the word episcopalian, which in some translations it's bishop. But, and, but it means oversight, inspecting, to investigate that this, is what, that this is what God will do with everyone at the end. Now, so you know, if you've ever built a house... You, you, you know, there, there, there's an inspection that happens. Or, or you know, if you've ever manufactured anything, you, uh, you know, a, a pair of pants, let's say, you know, there, there's, there's an inspection that takes place. You know, so in the house, for it to be certified, there's this inspection and there's a tag that says it's ready to be moved in. And, or sometimes it'll tell you, no, certain things need to be fixed before you can move in. But the house has been inspected. Or if, you know, if it's a pair of pants, for example, in the pocket somewhere, you might find a little piece of paper that says, inspect it by number nine. And you're like, who is that? <laughs> so, yeah. yeah, yeah, yeah. So, so, yeah, all of our deeds, the, the quality of this, the, 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 the motive behind it, all of our deeds, our character, our ways are judged. They're inspected by God. And so this is why Peter is urging them to remember who they are, and because of who you are, this is how you should live. And he does this. He, he, he does this all through all through the chapter, through chapter two and chapter three. He tells how they should live as people who are in the empire, as slaves, as masters, as husbands, as wives, and as something that was new, a congregation, a church family. And that's, that's chapter 3, verses 8 through 12. And, thus, and then he lands at verse 13. He says, now, who is there to harm you if you are zealous for what is good? And then he adds, even if you should suffer for righteousness sake, you will be blessed. Have no fear of them, nor be troubled. Yeah, so it's, it's, here the, the picture is, so yeah, if you're if you're zealous for good and you're not persecuted for it you're not suffering for it good if but even if you are you're blessed because of what God has done for you in Christ and making you his people and he's literally saying to them don't fear the fear of them 
In other words, don't be afraid of unbelievers or intimidated by what they can do. And at the time that this is written, Nero was killing Christians. Rome saw Christians as atheists. They were, they were those who didn't believe in all the plurality and the poly, polytheistic gods of, of, the, of the culture. So they said, oh, you Christians are without God. They called them cannibals. But this, so, so this, this is the context in which Peter is writing this, and this is what they're hearing. And so he's no doubt recalling the words of Jesus in Luke 12, 4 and 5, when he says, I tell you, friends, do not fear those who kill the body, and after that have nothing more they can do, but I will warn you fear to whom to fear. Fear him who, after he has killed, has authority to cast into hell. Yes, I tell you, fear him. See, the unbelieving government, officials, religious authorities, unbelieving co-workers or neighbors who, who call you names or they curse at you, they fine you, and in some cases kill you, they can't change God's love for you in Christ. You're still his chosen people. And the evil they heap upon you for doing good only works to bring God glory. It's better, Peter says, it's better to suffer for doing good because grace says we don't need to fear any harm, but instead honor Christ as holy. This is number two. Look at verses 15 and 60. But in your hearts, honor Christ the Lord as holy, always being prepared to make a defense to anyone who asks you for a reason for the hope that is in you. Yet do it with gentleness and respect, having a good conscience so that when you are slandered, those who revile your good behavior in Christ may be put to shame. See, in processing the grace of God so that you begin to see it is better to suffer for doing good, you must in your heart set Christ apart as holy. So instead of fear of, unbelieving, of the unbelieving world, in your heart, Christ is seated upon the center of your life as Lord and God. Here is a clear marker that, Jesus, that, that Peter believed in the deity of Christ, that, de that Christ is God. He clearly sees Christ as God and says, in our hearts, see Christ as holy. Christ is as holy as God. And what the prophet, so what the prophet Isaiah saw in the temple there in Isaiah chapter 6, and it shook him to, to the core, and he said, I'm undone. I'm a man of unclean lips. I dwell in amongst the people of unclean lips. It shook him to the core of his being. That is what Christ is to be in our hearts. Have you had a vision of the holiness of Christ in the center of your being? That, it, that Christ, the where, if you take Christ in, that there, you're undone. That everything, everything, oh, but you know, so it's, 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 such, it's such a beautiful picture of, what, that, of the grace that God has given to us. If you catch a vision of the holiness of Christ and you recognize, I have no other help but him. Joseph, here's an illustration, of, a biblical illustration of, of, of honoring Christ as holy and how it keeps you from sin. Joseph, he's alone with Potiphar's wife. And she pressed him, the scripture says, day after day. And in today's terminology, it would be called sexual harassment. But in his heart, he honored the Lord. So when she said to him, 
lie with me, he honored the Lord. Because here's what he says. Behold, because of me, my master has no concern about anything in the house, and he has put everything that he has in my charge. He is not greater in this house than I am, nor has he kept back anything from me except you, because you are his wife. How then can I do this great wickedness and sin against God? You see, he, he honored Christ as holy in his heart, and that honoring Christ kept him from sin. But honoring Christ as holy also leads to the acknowledgement of, of wrongs and, and injustices of, 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 and the confession of sin at that, that, of, and, and, the, and when these things take place. In March of 2019, this is an example, in March of, of, of 2019, the Reverend Reiji Oyama led a Japanese prayer group in prayer at the memorial site of the March 1 movement massacre in Seoul, Korea. And the pastor and the prayer group apologized on behalf of the Japanese country for the killing of 20 people on April 15 of 1919. And the, uh, at the, at the, the I'll probably mess this up because I don't speak Korean. <laughs> the Jimree Protestant Church. Here, Reverend Oyama prayed, Lord, this church is where the worst case was committed by the Japanese officials during the colonial period. Japan, at that time, tortured and killed the villagers and set the church on fire just because they took part in the March 1 independence movement. He went on to say, Japanese politicians have never apologized for this. It's natural to apologize if you do something wrong. Lord, please forgive us, Japanese people. The pastor said, this is, so here he's Japanese and he's apologizing to the Koreans for what took place. Honoring Christ as holy in the heart, leads to, it leads to the, the good work of confessing national sins for the sake of reconciliation. So some of the Japanese prayer group, they held up banners in Korean saying, we deeply apologize for Japan's colonization of Korea. We'll keep apologizing until you say, now that's enough. How can you do that? You honor, you're honoring Christ in your, you're honoring Christ as holy in your heart, and it keeps you confessing sins. So in processing the grace of God so that you begin to see that it is better to suffer for doing good requires honoring Christ, seeing his holiness, and letting it quake your heart until we are being witnesses of hope. Look at verse 15 and then 17 through 20. But in your hearts, honor Christ the Lord as holy, always being prepared to make a defense to anyone who asks you for a reason for the hope that is in you. Yet do it with gentleness and respect. For it is better to suffer for doing good, if that should be God's will, than for doing evil. For Christ also suffered once for sins, the righteous for the unrighteous, that he might bring us to God, being put to death in the flesh, but made alive in the spirit, in which he went and proclaimed to the spirits in prison, because they formerly did not obey, when God's patience waited in the days of Noah while the ark was being prepared, in which a few, that is eight persons, were brought safely through water. So what you see here and what we notice in, as, as, as we're going through this is that this is not about 
your personal experience of sanctification or your personal, it's not about your personal uh, exaltation, but it, it's, this, this is suffering that is unearned because you're doing good out of the identity that God has given us in Christ. In our heart, honoring Christ the Lord as holy is so that we are prepared to make a defense to anyone who asks for the reason for the hope that is in you. See, processing the grace of God so that you see that it's better to suffer for doing good puts you in the place of defending the hope that you have in Christ. Why do you have this hope? What makes you think you can escape Nero? What makes you think you can avoid the punishment, the suffering, you atheists? What makes you think you have a God that can deliver you? Why do you have this hope? So verse 18 says that Christ also suffered once for sins, the righteous for the unrighteous, that he might bring us to God, being put to death in the flesh, but made alive in the spirit. See, right here is the ground of our hope. Here's the foundation of our hope. Jesus exchanging his righteousness for our unrighteousness. He took on suffering that he didn't deserve so we could have the presence of God that we don't deserve. See, this is grace, friends. This is grace. This is our hope. (laughs) See, Jesus was doing good on our behalf in bringing us to the Father. We couldn't do it, but he brought us to the Father. And his doing good led to his suffering. But his suffering at our hands, you remember, we're, we're the unrighteous. He's righteous. His suffering is at our hands. It glorified God. He became a witness to the spirits in prison. This is what the text is telling us. He became a witness to the spirits in prison who had disobeyed in the days of Noah. Now, this passage is is too much to deal with in the time that we have. This would take months to unpack. But suffice it to say that for Peter's audience, the suffering that they were enduring and that they would be called upon to endure It's worthy of their knowledge that Jesus is more powerful than and is the judge of the angelic and the demonic realms. He is a witness to to, to those disobedient spirits of the victory he has won over sin, death, and the devil. Thus, Jesus is our hope. It makes me think of, of, the, of, of a mighty fortresses. Though this world with devils filled should threaten to undo us, we will not fear, for thou hast willed his truth to triumph through us. R.T. France commenting on this, passage, on this passage's relevance too. He says this, he says, they, Peter's readers, might be called to endure the worst that anti-Christian prejudice could inflict, but even then they could be assured that their pagan opponents, and more important, the spiritual powers of evil that stood between them and directed them, were not outside Christ's control, and they were already defeated, awaiting final punishment. Christ had openly triumphed over them, Here is real comfort and strength for a persecuted church which took seriously the reality and power of spiritual forces. Now, if Jesus' victory covered the visible and invisible realm, who is it that can make you fear if you are in Jesus? 
if his pre- if the present if his suffering has on our behalf his good works on our behalf has secured us a standing in the presence of God what would it matter what presidents lawmakers supreme court justices or your boss or what what they might say what would that matter what they might say about your good works if you if they call your good works evil then as peter says you are blessed for so they did to Jesus. And he is now showing the rule of heaven. Hallelujah. Look at verses 21 and 22. Baptism, which corresponds to this, now saves you, not as a removal of dirt from the body, but as an appeal to God for a good conscience through the resurrection of Jesus Christ, who has gone into heaven and is at the right hand of God with angels, authorities, and powers having been subjected to him. See, processing the grace of God so that you see that it is better to suffer for doing good is is really a reliance on the sovereignty of God, heaven's rule over the affairs of man. Well, you might ask then, well, how does baptism fit into all of this? Well, it fits because of the identification with Jesus' resurrection. Do you remember Romans chapter 6, verses 3 and 4? Paul said, do you not know that all of us have been baptized into Christ Jesus? We're baptized into his death. We, are, we were buried, therefore, with him by baptism into death in order that just as Christ was raised from the dead by the glory of the Father, we too might walk in newness of life. See, baptism is part of that new identity we have in Christ, a new identity that is a new life with new works, because we are one with Jesus, just as he made himself one with us. You know, what I find most holy humiliating, holy, H-O-L-Y, what I find most holy humiliating is that God didn't exempt himself from suffering. Hebrews chapter 2, verses 9 and and 10, and then 14 and 15, and verse 18. Listen to, listen to how many times he talks about Jesus and suffering. But we see him who for a little while was made lower than the angels, namely Jesus, crowned with glory and honor because of the suffering of death, so that by the grace of God he might taste death for everyone. For it was fitting that he, for whom and by whom all things exist, in bringing many sons to glory, should make the founder of their salvation perfect through suffering. Since, therefore, the children share in flesh and blood, he himself likewise partook of the same things, that through death he might destroy the one who has the power of death, that is, the devil, and deliver all those who through fear of death were subject to lifelong slavery. For because he himself has suffered when tempted, he is able to help those who were being tempted. You see, Jesus totally relied on the rule of heaven as his good works were deemed evil by the rulers and the chief priests. He joined us. He joined us in our suffering. He didn't exempt himself from suffering. He joined us, and the text tells us in, in John 10 and 32 that they took up, they were, as they were about to stone Jesus, but Jesus answered them, it says, I have shown you many good works from the Father. For which of them 
are you going to stone me? And Peter, when he, when he, when he encounters Cornelius and his family in, in Acts chapter 10, he writes this about Jesus suffering for doing good. He says, you yourselves know what happened throughout all Judea, beginning from Galilee after the baptism that John proclaimed, how God anointed Jesus of Nazareth with the Holy Spirit and with power. He went about doing good and healing all who were oppressed by the devil, for God was with him. And we are witnesses of all that he did, both in the country of the Jews and in Jerusalem. They put him to death by hanging him on a tree. He went about doing good, yet he was put to death. So where does that leave us? Well, it leaves us with, as the hymn says, letting God lead his dear children along in Jesus Christ. See, we're like the psalmist, we're like the psalmist who blesses God for keeping his soul among the living and has not let his feet slip. That's what we read in Psalm 66. And in verse 10, he says, For you, O God, have tested me. You have tried us as silver is tried. And then he says in verse 12, We went through the fire. We went through water. Yet you have brought us out to a place of abundance. And at the end of the chapter, he said, blessed be God, because he has not rejected my prayer or withheld his, removed his steadfast love from me. Hallelujah. Yeah, he, God keeps us. See, the reason we can fear no harm and honor Christ as holy while being witnesses with hope, showing heaven's rule, is because of the grace of Jesus Christ. The good news of the gospel is that Jesus didn't make the assumption that pain is bad and thus tried to avoid it. Hallelujah. No, see, compassion would have no meaning. Mercy would mean nothing if he doesn't share our pain in bringing the justice of God into our lives. Matthew Loftus said this, he said, and it's in the same article, a just society does not kill suffering people. It shares their burden. That's precisely what Jesus Christ has done for all who believe. He shares the burden of our suffering and our pain. And aren't you glad that he didn't end suffering by ending the sufferer? Oh, see, so you ought to shout. <laughs> no, say, say because, because he suffered for us. We deserve suffering. He didn't. He suffered for us, and he delivered us through his suffering. Ah, yeah, yeah. He didn't, he didn't end suffering by ending the sufferer. Hallelujah. Yeah. But he saves us. He saves us. And we sing like the old spiritual. I'm so glad trouble don't last always. Let's pray. Our Father in heaven, indeed, our hearts, you call us to rejoice in the midst of suffering. Lord, we don't know, none of us know the things that will take place today, but we all, Lord, have been guilty of trying to avoid pain, but yet, Lord, it is there. And you, through the Lord Jesus Christ, what we see in the gospel, you, our God, is 
you're powerful enough to redeem our suffering and our pain. For the glory of your name, Father, help us in these days and in the days ahead to walk through this, Lord, taking this whole process, processing your grace so that we see that it is better to suffer for doing good. And Lord, that we become even more zealous for good works, that your name is continually glorified through Jesus Christ, in whose name we pray. Amen.